94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. This is where every morning we bring in one of Hawaii's leaders or experts to talk about the issues that you care about in the time of COVID-19, and uh, they're here to answer your questions. Right now on the phone, we have uh, a guy who is in the center of all uh, many of the things <laughs> happening here uh, in Hawaii. Uh, we've got Scott Murakami, Director of Labor and Industrial Relations with the state. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Aloha. Hello. Thank you for making nice the time. Nice with us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Um, you are uh, the guy <laughs> that I think <laughs> we want to talk story with because, you know, so many people are out of work. Unemployment benefits is the big topic right now. I it, Just to be really honest, this morning I was thinking about our conversation coming up. I thought... I wouldn't want to be Mr. Murakami right now. Wait, <laughs> honestly. Hey, don't make him hang up before we get started, man. <laughs> I know, man. I know, but I mean that in a good way because I'm like, props to you for hanging in there, man, because you got to, I mean, it's it's no. it's been, you know, it's it's that, that, that uh, what is the word I'm thinking of? It's the lightning rod job right now uh, with unemployment being the way it is. What has that been like? And, and, and can you give us a, the latest on the, on the unemployment benefit situation? Sure. You know, I think first off, um, I think this goes not just for me, but all of the people who work for the department mm-hmm. and all of the volunteers. You know, we work in public service because we want to serve. And, you know, these are unprecedented times. And my job is really about providing the solutions that help the community. And I know that they're frustrated. I know that they're upset and I feel their pain. Mm. But, you know, my, my sense that everybody has contributed to a solution. And that's really what our calling is in public service. And I realize that part of that job is to try to keep, you know, the frustration level down and try to reassure the community. But the reality of it is that there's so many challenges that we have at the department now because of some of the antiquated technology that we have, because of the business practices that were designed around unemployment to really be claimant service and claimant oriented, Mm -hmm. that trying to keep up with that in this deluge of historical levels of um, claims is really challenging, but I think everybody's heart is in is in it, and that's really what I think makes Hawaii special. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You've had to really step like step that office up a lot, right? Because previous to the pandemic coming, we had uh, one of the lowest, if not the lowest, unemployment rate in the nation, I think, and then now we're at about the highest. Can you kind of uh, tell us what that process has been like? Sure, it's been. Um, you know, it's it's just uh, it's kind of hard to describe, quite honestly, because I'm just some local kid from Hawaii, right? I, <laughs> I didn't know that it was going to happen like this. Sure, but no one the did. The reality of it, is that, yeah, and the, but the reality of it is that, you know, for for us within state government, you know, to see people within our department willing to reallocate, because we had talked about the initial 76 people who we had reallocated within our department. You know, these were people that didn't have to be you know, begged to reallocate, right? We didn't have to tell them to to come and help us. We just called for help, and they all stepped up and said, yeah, we'll help out, which is representative of how, how, how much heart I think people who work for the state have. Mm. Um, and that goes also for the state library, right? They didn't hesitate to come up and step out and offer their assistance, as well as the, what, 600 about 600 volunteers that we have now that are trained and working multiple shifts at the convention center. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these people just really, um, and it's easy to focus on the problem, I think, but really when you 
I have the luxury of actually sitting back and watching and interacting with these people every day. And for me, that part's inspiring. It's just the, you know, I also have to carry the burden of understanding that, you know, as of today, we still have, you know, about 81,000 people who need our help. So it's really um, an interesting kind of emotional, you know, you have these wonderful highs of seeing all of these people working together to solve Hawaii's challenges. Mm -hmm. But you also, on the back end, carry this burden of, you know, I got to do more. I got to get and uh, get more people uh, their benefits that they're rightfully entitled to. Yeah, yeah. So you have so now with all these people stepping up to help with the DLIR, um, as compared with previously, that unemployment office was what like six or seven people, I think, or something really small. Right now, you've got hundreds. Right in the claims office. Mm-hmm. It yes, was, uh, seven seven people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I think system wide, we had just over a hundred, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, and that's statewide. So to have it come to this volume, right, you can see why um, why having this antiquated system and having the volunteers was really important because you, you, it's important to understand, first off, that this is an insurance program. And so we have a responsibility of rating or evaluating every single claim that comes in mm-hmm. and making determinations that, as to whether or not that individual actually qualifies for the program. And that decision um, is then appealable. And those appeals are something that we take seriously as well. So it's not something that's a public assistance program that I think people may be confused about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, getting all of these people um, who are skilled, the real challenge is we have this small population of people who were unemployment insurance uh, subject matter experts. And now we've got to scale it up to sixfold, right? Mm -hmm. And how do I do that? with these subject matter experts still doing their job, but yet getting them into positions now where they can facilitate this whole process of volunteers actually taking calls, actually processing things, making sure we're doing it right and living up to our uh, fiduciary responsibility to trust. And that part is really what I wish people could see. Mm. The ability of our staff to shift from this mindset of, my job is to process this claim actually accurately to this vision of, or this understanding that my job is now to work with all of these individuals, right? With different personalities from different backgrounds or different experiences, and then to be able to process claims with them effectively mm-hmm. and, and to take calls and to help people file. You know, it's just incredible watching that whole dynamic happen. Yeah, and we're, you guys are now in the process of paying out, uh, I, I think I was looking at some of the latest numbers, uh, there there are indeed tens of thousands of people who still have to be processed. Where are we now numbers-wise? I've been, I've been hearing 220,000 claims, 60% of them processed, something like that. Can you clarify that? Sure. So we have uh, 225,587 claims as of yesterday. Mm-hmm. And one hundred six thousand, uh, one hundred and excuse me, one hundred thousand six hundred and two have been um, um, have been paid, and forty thousand four hundred and seventy five have been de- denied. So that's a total of uh, well, I guess I can just break it down per- percentage wise. Of the two hundred and twenty five thousand five hundred and sixty seven claims, mm-hmm. just about sixty three percent have been processed. So we we have remaining. 84,510 claims that are still in, in the claims process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are still receiving about, you know, anywhere from about a 1,500 to 2,000 claims a day. So it's not like we're 
you know, it's over and we haven't been receiving new claims. Mm-hmm. We're still receiving new claims and new applications. Um, the nice thing is that they are coming in cleaner. I think people have been listening and paying attention and, and have been helping us by being very uh, diligent and um, meticulous in their filings of claim, uh, their applications. So their claims, as a result, are processing through a lot better. Got it, got it. We definitely want to spend some time this morning talking about uh, getting your advice directly for those people who are still applying or who are waiting for their checks. And we're going to get that to that in a moment. But before we stray too far away from the existing problems, I just wanted to ask you, so much has been said about the computer system uh, that DLIR is having to deal with. And some people have, <laughs> I, I'm reading some of the accounts, people are like, it's like Atari, or they're talking about like DOS, old DOS systems. Can you kind of quantify for this, like, for us, like, wh- what is the situation with the computer system? Sure. So, um, I guess I can relate it to a personal experience, if mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, yeah. But, so I'm, so I graduated high school in 1984, right, mm-hmm. from Kamiki. So... Um, one of my summer jobs in 1986 was working at the DAGS computer center, um, cleaning their hardware and their, their hard drives and things like that mm-hmm. as, in the night shift and loading up programs and helping them run it. At that point, the system we're running was about two years old. So that's how old it is. Oh, to give you a sense of just how old it is, right? So, so at that same point, system you mean now? Yeah, same system now. Wow. That's the same back-end system that we have on the mainframe now. Mm-hmm. And so it is, I mean, I hate to put it that way because not everybody knows, well, that guy's old, but you know, that's the reality <laughs> of it. If you want to make it really, you know, you really want to get the sense of it, right? I'm, mm-hmm. what, 53 now? And that thing was new when I was uh, two years out of high school. Wow. And so, okay. you know, even thinking about, and, and so there's some, you know, there's some, the, the issue with it is that we have to protect it because that's what we have. Good, bad, whatever it is, that's what we have. So, you know, and what we have to do is we have to use the modern technology that we have mm-hmm. and we have to build solutions around it that offset the load from the mainframe so that we can use the mainframe for what it was designed to do. And that's why, and even the front end that we were using before, before COVID-19 happened, that was developed, the portal, the online application that everyone was using, mm-hmm. that was designed about 10 years ago. And that used really old technology, uh, or excuse me, I shouldn't say that. What it did was it used a limited type of a technology because of at even 10 years ago, they didn't want to interrupt the code on the mainframe. So they used this technology called screen scraping. And it worked for a number of years following the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, what it does is it makes a huge number of calls onto the mainframe, which the mainframe was never designed to do. And as a result, we've had to develop technology solutions along the way during this what six-week six period. We've had to implement technology systems and solutions that actually get to the heart of the problem. And the heart of the problem is that we have to protect the mainframe. We have to off- offload the traffic from the mainframe to allow the mainframe to process its data the way it was designed to do back in the 80s. So that's really what we're what we're looking at doing. Wow, Scott, it sounds like um, you're you're kind of a nerd. <laughs> 
I mean, I hate to put it that way, but uh, but that's and that's and I mean that in the in the kindest, nicest way possible because your understanding of how the process works, how the computer process works, has become really important. Like more important than if you were just uh, some guy who kind of came into this and said, "Well, let me help with unemployment." Right, because your understanding of the computer system that drives the unemployment system um, makes it so that you can put these kind of things into place. Because I, am I am I wrong here? You know, um, I'm going to take that as a compliment. <laughs> no, I totally <laughs> I as a compliment. I mean, it it. Well. yeah, because I'm totally a nerd too. Like the, the the stuff you're talking about with mainframes and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like people, n- not normal people, but I mean, most people don't really take that into consideration when you're dealing with an antiquated system you just go oh it's really old right you know but you can talk about and you know the mainframe needs to be this and needs to be that which is impressive I, I think well i appreciate that it's kind of you but i would be really disingenuous if i took credit for that because there's a whole team of people behind me at the um you know ets within our own it department we've got consultants helping us and you know what we operate very well as a team and, you know, like I told people in the other interviews that we had, is that's the only promise I can make to people, that the teams will stay strong, will stay strong together collectively and solve these problems. But that's only part of it, right? Because there's a whole human element. Because we can't fix these, it takes time, as you know, to develop a solution, right? And yeah. so um, these solutions, have we've been able to run them up very quickly, but we've had to, at, at the cost of that, that comes at a cost, which is a lot of the testing that we have to do. So we have to find new ways of implementing solutions in a much more rapid way. But in the meantime, you know, you look at these numbers that we're showing, right? 106,000 uh, 106, people got paid. And the, the reason for that is we have people in the convention center, right? Mm-hmm. With just heroically pounding away at those those. And those green screens, mm-hmm. and, you know, the the old technology entering in and cleaning up each individual claim. So it's a balance of not only the technological solutions that we're using to try to address things like the high volume traffic and whatnot. And uh, that's really much led by this human effort of people saying, you know, we got to get in there and we got to get in there and help. So, you know, it's really a our team is really a wonderful balance of uh, both the technological solutions and capabilities we're able to deliver in a very um, timely way, but also the people uh, at the convention center and at the library and within our offices that are really pounding away, making sure that the problem um, gets smaller and that we consistently are driving a solution. Okay. Just to be clear, though, I, just so that we can kind of put a, a button on this particular issue, that that computer system is supposed to be upgraded, like, I think this year, right, was supposed to. And uh, But what happened with that? Yeah, so we were on target to actually um, start doing the development work, start, at least start with the background implementation and whatnot in J- July of this year. Um, unfortunately... And we were on target with not just us, but with the legislature because we had asked for their support and they had given us their support to work with us. And so we had, we're on target to have the money and then as a result start implementing this new solution. Um, And so unfortunately, COVID-19 happened. Mm -hmm. And now everybody throughout the nation is in every UI office is having to deal with the same crisis that we're having to deal with. Mm. You know, I'm not sure 
the last I heard, the Idaho team that we were working with, and the reason we selected Idaho was that they were actually a part of a national grant from the U.S. Department of Labor that were funded to actually develop a modernized system. At that time, we were told the systems would cost $80 million per state to modernize. Mm. Um, and so for us, this was a good deal because they would give us the source code free for the, um, the new system. And then we would have to pay for the implementation of it. And as a result, the price tag for us was about $4 million. Oh, that's a bargain comparative. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, yeah, it is, right? And, and you have to remember, right, that uh, the unemployment insurance program is a completely federally funded program. And the, but they did not give us, the U.S. Department of Labor did not give us money to modernize. And so we have to return to the state. And that's why I'm really grateful because the legislatures recognize that, you know, we're in this situation. So they got behind it and they were supporting us and we could get it at a bargain deal. And so we had done a gap analysis in our business practices to make sure that the way we process UI claims was something that would allow us to fit within the, um, or we wouldn't have to modify those practices too much, which would result in like downtimes on the system Mm -hmm. and the new system. So we were, uh, we had completed that. Uh, We found out that yes, we could do the adaptation to the new system in a reasonable amount of time. And then COVID-19 hit. Mm. And so we had to, at that point, revert back to the old technology. Um, Then we had what was different, I think, about COVID-19 from everything else is then we had the social distancing issue. We had the issue about, um, you know, the stay-at-home, work-at-home issues. And all of those things were important things to ensure public health and the public welfare. Mm -hmm. And so we had to, you know, we honored that. And I would tell you that first day the social distancing thing came out and our doors were open, we couldn't contain it. There is no way we could ensure that we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be the cause of some form of community spread or oh, something of that nature. Yeah. Because there were just so many people here, right? And so, you know, it was, those were really tough days and we had to make some really hard decisions about, you know, shutting the doors to ensure public welfare and, and how we were going to take these claims because we couldn't take it manually. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't have the manpower. We couldn't, we knew there had to be a technology solution, but the only solutions we had were very, very um, antiquated and old solutions that would not hold up to the level of stress that w- the community needed us to respond to. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a perfect storm of you know mm-hmm. circumstances with the yeah. budget, with the timing, the pandemic, all of those things. So, uh, yeah, we hear you. We hear you in the in the coping and trying to make it work. Ninety four seven Kumu Kokua because Kumu cares. Uh, this morning we are in the middle of talking story with the man in charge of an issue so key to hundreds of thousands of people here in Hawaii. That is, of course, unemployment benefits. So we have on the phone Scott Murakami, who is director of labor and industrial relations for the state. Hey, Scott, you know what? Just before we get going, because we know you're a local boy. Were you in school? <laughs> yeah, Kamiki. Kaiuki. Kaiuki. Oh, boy. Okay, okay. And then Sorry, after that, ask and, and, and you went UH, right? I think I heard you went UH. Yeah, I did. Uh-huh. I did. I guess I never do too well because I have to go three times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's all good. Oh, yeah, it's worried, right? <laughs> yeah. 
I'm a proud well, UH grad as well. So. Yeah, there you go. See, <laughs> don't worry. You got company. You got company. <laughs> well, we've been spending some time talking about the cha- challenges uh, with the unemployment benefits uh, system here in Hawaii because so many, it's it's like so many states, uh, Hawaii has had some challenges in getting unemployment benefits out to people. And um, just off air, we're asking Scott about whether this is, you know, if you can shed some light on the national context because Hawaii is not the only state struggling with this, right? That, that's right. And I've tried not to say too much about that because I don't want to seem like we're deflecting to, to anything. But the reality is other states are hurting pretty bad. You know, when this whole thing started up, we were trying to make sure that our filings were done correctly as much as possible. And, you know, the what an example of what would have happened had we not been able to get the 225000 claims into our system is Florida. Because unfortunately for our colleagues in Florida, they had to resort to taking claims manually. Ouch. Whoa. Oh, it's, manually. That means by paper, right? Yeah, Ooh. manually. So they actually had to take it by paper. And then, you know, you, at that point, your workers are worried because, you know, one of the concerns I had when we first did this and we were receiving manual, manual um, uh, or applications, right, is that our staff were spraying it down to make sure that it was disinfected. Oh, right? oh man. You know, I thought, you know, we cannot do this because at that time, back then, we didn't know how COVID-19 was transmitted. Mm-hmm. And everybody was saying, you know, we can't, like, how are we going to mitigate this with, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of manual forms coming in, which is why we have to accelerate all of the technology solutions that we did. So they're, they're one that was, really the initial concern that I had for the state. The other one that I'm hearing of now that's having some real um, challenges is Nevada. And so, you know, Mm. that, yeah, and it's hard to, you know, quite honestly, I try to keep up with these, but um, I I try to keep focused more on the solutions that we're working on in Hawaii. But those are things if people are interested in what's going on, you know, take a look at some of the other states and see what's happening. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that that it's been hard that California, for example, recently has notified the U.S. um, Department of Labor that they will not be taking certifications. And, you know, so I called USDOL saying, hey, if they're going to do it, you know, we asked you folks several times whether or not we can do it. And they said, no, you're not allowed to do it. And if you do it, you will have to pay the financial recourse. The trust will have to bear all of the costs for doing that. Mm-hmm. So, oh. you know, so you can see there's a era of desperation on the part of other states. And I certainly feel for them, given the situation we're in. But, you know, when I look down at the work that we're doing, and it's I think what's different from with our state versus other states is that the cocoa we got from everybody from other state departments from the unions from the you know from the legislature everybody helping in the convention center mm-hmm. buys us the time to actually provide the technology technological solutions that we need to deploy because some of the things that we're looking at building now we're building a replicated we're, we're basically taking the data from the mainframe and replicate it onto a new modern SQL server. Oh. We're taking the portal that's about 10 years old, and we've created a SQL API gateway to connect to the da- that, that database. And then we put a cloud front on the front to stop all the bots, right? I mean, you can't build that in a week. You, you just can't. It's uh-huh. not physically possible right plus mm-hmm. it's not just you it's every other state that's also trying to do the same yeah. thing right because everybody right. is sort of right. Uh, antiquated right right 
right? And those kind of technology solutions can be implemented because of the, the support we have locally from all of the volunteers. I think that's really what's making a difference in keeping our our system as old as it is, stable and running. Mm, Okay, okay, okay. Um, Scott, can we pivot a little bit because, you know, with hundreds of thousands of people unemployed now and so many thousands of people still either waiting on benefits or some people even complaining that they still can't even get through to start the process, um, can you kind of help provide some, some guidance, some advice for how people, like, what should they do? How can they improve their chances of getting through or getting things done faster, getting their checks faster? The first thing you want to do is, if you're filing, use our 24-7 um, uh, web form. That's the best way to file it. Mm-hmm. Be very careful. Be very accurate. And the three, what they want to watch for when they're filing is make sure, number one, your employer data is correct. And put all of the employment that you have had before you lost uh, your job at because of COVID-19. So are people all of your employment. Mm-hmm. Are people not, is that a common error? Is that what you guys are saying? That's, that's one of the three. The other two are making sure your routing number is correct for your bank account. And the third one is make sure the bank account number is correct. Mm-hmm. Those are the three most common errors that we see with people's filings that stop it. Once you're uh, through that process and you follow through the 24-7 online form, we'll ingest that form. And then what you want to do at that point is create an online account. And I'm going to just ask the, uh, your listeners to be very patient with us because that's where we start seeing some of the um, challenges with the old system is that people have a hard time logging on. And those are some of the things that we're trying to fix we're, that we're certainly working on solutions for and the SQL um, gateway will help us with that. But um, just make sure that they file accurately as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. Once you file and you get your claim verified and whatnot, the next challenge that they're going to encounter is the filing of their weekly certification. So once your your claim is filed and you're in there and you know your your claim set, you have to file depending on whether or not you're fully um, dislocated from work or partially. You will have to file either weekly or biweekly certification, and the certification is your timesheet, and the timesheet tells us that you are still unemployed and you're still actively looking for work. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then you did a three job search and if they say yes to all of those things, that will help them get the certification process through. The frustration the community is feeling is that they can't even get to that point. And that's why we have to find that we're working on a technological solution to try to improve that. And that's where the SQL environment comes in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I see. Do you also hear, um, you said, you know, that that part, this weekly certifications, just getting those in is a challenge. But also I'm hearing from some people that having to do the three job search is also challenging because where are the jobs in Hawaii right now? So can you address that? Yeah. Sure. So for us to have changed the three job search would have required us to get into the mainframe and change the code. And so we wanted to we we really had to stay away from that because if there was some error in that and it's not just taking it out. Right. Because there could be other systems or other processes down the line that um, are reliant on that. So instead of doing that, what we're asking the public to do is just say yes, that you did the three job search and it'll process your claim through. 
And so that's how the community can help us. Just say yes to that, even though you haven't looked and we know that there's there there weren't jobs. Don't worry about it. Just say yes, and okay. that will help out the claims process a lot more. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Can you also explain now the PUA system uh, recently came up? Can and that's for people who are like independent contractors, gig workers, so forth. Um, some people are are expressing some some frustration with that one as well, or not knowing how to navigate that, or why benefits are not coming quickly for them. Can you explain about that? So yeah, I can share a little bit, just a little bit about it mm-hmm. with you. Um, so. Uh, we, we're working with another state department who actually is taking the lead on the PUA program. And I'll wait until the announcement comes out in regards to that. But what I would tell you is that um, we have been working with them. And the way that it is rolling out is that what was first launched in phase one was the um, the web form or the process of receiving applications. And the back end form is what they were working on um, while we were receiving forms. So. The challenge is that because we didn't have everything available, because the poor system is a completely new system, and it's purely um, uh, well, a public assistance program, but we had to build it from scratch. It's completely new. We didn't have anything that could dispense funding like this. And so um, basically, we're, my understanding is that we're building that process, we're building the system, um, the front-end uh, application ability to receive applications is complete, but the back-end portion that does all of the eligibility requirements, mm-hmm. all of the validation of the data to make sure that the recipient gets the addition, the right amount of pay that they're entitled to under the PUA program, and then subsequently re- receives the additional $600 plus up specifically for the PUA program, um, those things are still under development. Oh, okay. okay. So when will, when will that be done? So what, um, when we were in the project planning stage, um, it was the estimated time frame was 15 days after the hard launch, which I believe was last week, Wednesday or Thursday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so now, so that means so we're talking days. about at least about another week? I, I would even, not, sorry, the days kind of run together. For me <laughs> yeah, I don't blame no. you. Yeah. So probably about another week before... Uh, so, like you said, the the forms are coming right. in, but the ability to do the the calculations and process and things like that are still being developed. So, we're thinking the it, you're yeah. saying that next week, sometime next week, probably. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what the target date was, and you know, um, again, I don't want to. I guess for myself, you know, because we were we're um, actually not the lead agency on it, um, and part of the reason that a good. You know, the reason that happened is we don't have enough resources. As you can see, we've already had to expand our department well over sixfold to take care of the unemployment insurance program. And we still have 84, 84, 85,000 people that we need to service. So uh-huh. our priority then can focus specifically on the UI solution. And then uh, the other department can help us with making sure the pool program gets up and running. So, I see. Um, that's why the decision was made and I'm very grateful for that I mean quite honestly right our responsibility is trying to support everyone in the community and and from my side we can't do it alone and mm-hmm. that's been made clear with all the help from the volunteers and whatnot so any assistance we can receive I'm just 
elated to get the assistance. Sure, sure, of course. Um, I have several Kumu listeners who are posting questions about the PUA system, and uh, maybe you can talk about it a little bit. I, I realize you guys are in the middle of still developing it, but uh, again, you know, some of them are asking about when is the realistic date that PUA claims can actually pay out. Um, and the, and uh, let me see, one of our listeners, uh, Ruth, is asking in lieu of you know the whole system being stood up and uh, procedures you know paying out. Um, she says, can the federal government, uh, you know, give or provide some some guidance or some citizens relief while they're waiting? Because there are all these thousands of people who are waiting on the poor system to provide them some relief. She's asking, what what can you say to those uh, people who are relying on the poor system? Because they're they're without any money right now. You're right. So, you know, um, first off, uh, I, you know, it would be irresponsible for me to throw out dates when we're clearly not the lead agency. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm going to um, kind of refrain from answering that and just say I'm sorry that I, I can't answer that. I mm-hmm. wish I could. But mm-hmm. at this point, I don't want to encumber another department um, in any way. What I can share with Ruth is that, you know, I think... Um, there, I know there was some relief that came out from the other, from, I can't remember, there was a uh, supplemental, uh, they gave out $1,200, I thought, directly from the federal government to support the residents of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I don't know too much about that, but I'm pretty sure that there was a stimulus package that relief funds directly to, to um, people through their IRS account. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, right, so that's one form of relief. I do know that there's um, Aloha United Way and others have um, some support. You know, I can tell you that when this whole thing started, when uh, when we were involved in, in discussion with the U.S. Department of Labor, with the pool program, we did ask them to stand it up alone as a separate federal program, and the Department of Labor wasn't the agency to do it. Number one, because we were overtaxed already with the this historic and, you know, incredible amount unprecedented amount of claims that we were receiving so Mm -hmm. we just didn't have the manpower to do it and the second reason was that it is not you know it does verify whether or not somebody is eligible um, based off of eligibility requirements from the unemployment insurance program Mm -hmm. but the rest of it the rest of the validation comes from other sources of data and as a result could the u.s uh, u.s department of labor or another you know uh administrative branch the federal government administer the program and have a nationwide program because if you don't do that you run the risk of exactly what happened with the unemployment insurance program Mm -hmm. where the federal government tells us that you need to run this insurance program you need to run it with this level of a high level of of, of, um, fiduciary responsibility to trust but by the way we're not going to give you any money for it (laughs) the legislature to pay, pay you four million bucks and and then use a system that's developed by another state. I mean, that, in my mind, this was a rather the way I'd for it to happen, but that's the reality of how these things played out. Mm. Got it, got it. Hey, um, did you have any recommendations for people if, because uh, I've had a, a couple of friends who are um, independent contractors or, you know, they're, they're gig workers or whatever, and they applied, but then they... That's what we were talking about we were with talking the poor system. Them. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, I was yeah, paying yeah. attention. Well, it's a poor system, but like yeah, I had yeah. a couple of people, they applied, they got kicked out, and then they're just you know yelling, and I was like, well, 
maybe go try again. Yeah, and actually, now that it's yeah. all, you know what I mean. Now mm-hmm. that it's it's getting smoothed out, there's there's other stuff happening. Right, and also actually, Scott, while yeah. you're at that, can you also it related to that question? Um, early on, there was uh, some word, and I'm not sure if this was rumor or if this was coming out of the state where they were saying you need to apply through the regular unemployment system first and get rejected by that, and then go to Pua. And I don't even know if that is that that. That information was flying around for a while. Yeah. Does that still stand? Does that even was that even a thing? That's actually federal policy. Oh, okay. So you have to be so if you're and the reason why is they want to establish whether or not you had any wages at all. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then if you so the only people who could actually go directly through the um, UI claims process, or excuse me, the poor the poor process yeah. without going through the UI process is a. Uh, like a sole proprietor or a business that has absolutely no wages. That okay. person could apply directly to the pool system. But, you know, part of the confusion I have to say was from me because initially early on when we were going through the whole system with the Department of U.S. Department of Labor, they were saying that the pool program would run as a, sub, a subpopulation of the um, unemployment insurance program. Mm-hmm. And, and so at that point, we did advise um, a lot of people who were independent contractors, 1099 people, to apply for unemployment insurance program. That way, we would have their claim on file. Um, then subsequently, we found out it was going to be a program that was completely independent, right? And here we are now sitting with some, um, you know, like 40,000 claimants who are disqualified. Mm-hmm. Right? But then the, the federal government came out saying that, no, you do have to qualify for, for unemployment insurance and first be disqualified before you qualify for poor. So actually, we were lucky that we people did send their request to us. You were ahead of the curve a little bit. Have, <laughs> By accident. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, I had to tell you, it was really just dumb luck that that happened because we were told that's what we were told. So we thought, OK, we're going to tell the public that you should apply. And that's what we did. So some of that confusion did come from me. I apologize for that. But fortunately now, we do have a population of people who are disqualified that, you know, um, can apply for the poor program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Whoa. Mm-hmm. There okay. will be, yeah, and there will be individual cases that, and we have seen some individual cases where mm-hmm. they come back and they say they are disqualified from the UI program, but I also got disqualified for the U- the poor program. So you know, what's up with that? And those we've had to handle on an individual case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. We found, you know, I'll give you one example that is just kind of top of mind is one person had two social security numbers that are filed. Oh, gosh. And okay. so, you know, yeah, you go, how, well, I don't know how that happened, but yeah. it happened, right? And so we have to address it. And those are the types of issues that we're going to have, um, you know, the specific types of uh, situ- situations. I'm not saying all of them are that way, but that that's the type of uh, investigation or analysis that we have to do on our end on everyone who's been disqualified from both the poor and your uh, life. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because earlier on when we were asking you about what's the situation and you mentioned that 40,000 applications have been denied. Is it for stuff like that where there's discrepancies or what What kinds of what's what are the most common reasons that um, claims get denied? A lot of them, I believe, are people who were 1099 filers, people who just were independent contractors. Oh, okay. But we do have people who are de- who could have been denied because they may have had a pre-existing claim and it may not have expired. 
um, we may have had individuals who um, were who left work voluntarily. Mm. And, you know, it could have been a situation where they said, "Well, you know, I'm not safe at work. I'm not going to show up." And the worker goes, "Okay, then." The employer goes, "Okay, then." Whatever reason you left, you quit, right? And then tempers may have flared or whatever. So when the employer files with us, they said, "No, it wasn't because of COVID-19. It was because the individual chose to voluntarily leave." And the challenge with that is, at that point, the individual really does not qualify um, under the unemployment insurance program. A situation like that requires us to actually do a level of adjudication or this system of um, resolving this dispute between the employer and the and the claimant to find out what really happened. And then our in the, our staff make a determination, or in this case, the volunteers who work with us will have to make a determination as to what really happened. Once that happens, it can then be appealed um, to another agency. So you can see it's not a simple issue that we have to solve. It's mm-hmm. not, they're not simple things. Like, well, just disqualify me or don't disqualify me or whatever it is, right? I know people want that level of relief, but it comes back to this fundamental understanding that it is an insurance program and it's not a public assistance program. And yeah. As an insurance program, we have responsibilities to both the claimant and the employers. Got it, got it, okay. So um, uh, you gave some great advice earlier to increase the chance that your, your claim gets through smoothly to be accurate, uh, to make sure that you have um, the correct routing number and the bank account numbers too, That I think that'll help. Uh, with the processing, make sure that it goes through as fast as it can. Um, did you have any other advice to give um, filers? Did we did we pretty much cover it, or was there anything else you wanted to add on that? You know, I did want to share with you that, you know, starting on Monday of next week, we're going to be instituting an alphabetical, um, uh, last name alphabetical claim certification no. process. And, and so what it's going to look like is for uh, on Sunday morning, or on Sunday, excuse me, it'll be an open day. Monday, we're asking people with the last names who begin from A through G to file your weekly certification on Monday. For people who have uh, last names that begin with the last uh, letters of H through O, um, please file on Tuesday. And for people with the last uh, claimants with the uh, first letter of their last name starting from P through Z to file on Wednesday. And um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday will be open days as well. And that way, people are assured that if they miss their time during the alphabetical listing, that they will have other times to file their certifications. And um, our, what we're doing is we're making we're trying to now that we have this new SQL environment up, and we're still tuning it. We're still making trying to make it better, and we're using this as a mechanism then to help us um, provide a little more structure for the for the claimants to file their uh, certification. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, I saw that on I saw that on Facebook. A friend of mine posted it. <laughs> he said, mm-hmm. "Wow, is this really how we're doing this?" I went, "Hey, man, if it works, that's yeah. all that really matters." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it, I think it's a I, I think it's got to be a, an even thing, right? I mean, everybody rushes, but they've got to give you some time to sort of manage things, and 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 if this helps with that, that's great. Yeah, and I appreciate the community's support with it and their understanding. And yeah, to answer your friend's, um, you know, Facebook post, yeah, we we are actually at that point where we wish we didn't have to get here. But the reality of it is, it does help us buy adequate time to make sure that we can implement 
technology solutions that can at least help to mitigate the situation, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. there's only so much that we're going to be able to do from the technology side. The fundamental issue that we have is the amount of calls that the mainframe can take. And so I can assure you people are working to optimize that. But until we, you know, that's the resource that we have now. That's the tools that the state has. And our job is to make it work as effectively and efficiently as possible um, with not only the support from the uh, and Kokua from the volunteers, but also that from our claimants and our community. Mm, makes sense. So again, uh, let me just review that really quickly. So the al- so the alphabetical claims certifications uh, uh, sort of a schedule. In other words, this is the uh, the times that people will be filing those things about where they certify that they are uh, still jobless and still, at least in theory, looking for jobs. Um, Again, Monday is letters A through G, Tuesday is H through O, and Wednesday is P through Z, and then the other days are open, you were saying? Did I get that correct? Yes. Okay, all right, all right. Yes, that's correct. Just in case you missed out and went, oh, man! (laughs) You still get chance. Yeah, Yeah, still get chance. Exactly, exactly. Hawaii, Hawaii, no worry. You always get chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, though, um, so then that kind of gives some clarity to to process online. Um, Scott, if I can also ask you about people who are still expressing frustration about calling, calling in, and um, if there are any changes or improvements coming for for call center kinds of uh, reception, because we still have people who are saying they've called dozens or hundreds of times and can't get through. Is anything going to be happening there? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, this week we actually um, started to, so we rolled out a new call center solution last week. Mm -hmm. So over the weekend, um, um, early this week, we were able to train up an additional, I believe, 60 staff members to help in the call centers to take and return calls. Um, I can tell you that yesterday we returned about 1,600 calls to Ooh. claimants to help them file. Um, the challenge for us is that, you know, when we receive calls, they're all over about all different issues. And so our uh, call center people will help them to uh, solve those problems if they can right away. And if they're higher level issues that we have, such as the ones that require the adjudication or, you know, the 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 resolution between the employer and the claimant, Mm -hmm. we then will try to address those errors um, offline in in another way or through the claims processing process. So um, I can tell you that that's what's going on. We are looking at installing new instruments within the convention center, um, and it's a large number. I think our target was about 150. Um, But, you know, the challenge for us is, trying to get back to the community that is one of the big issues that we have and you know it's i understand how frustrating that is but we have been in the past limited by the amount of technology we could deploy not because of the availability of the technology Mm -hmm. but because first off the time that we had to deploy it and second the um the uh, existing infrastructure that feeds into the places that we put these call centers up in the past so Mm -hmm. you know um yeah, we are, one of our big efforts, you know, we know that there are about 6,000 people, 6,500 um, violence that have, uh, or claimants who have submitted an application that's in error. And so, you know, yesterday of that amount, we were able to call 1,600. So what I'm hoping for, at least for the people who have filed and haven't, you know, heard anything back, we should be able to get to that. If my, you know, if my math holds up, mm-hmm. within about four days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, okay. uh, you know, 
those are some of the targets that we're receiving. Again, a lot of the analytics we get aren't that great, given that well, the main source of data that comes from us has been the, the um, mainframe. But the good thing about these solutions that we're standing up now is that we do get better analytics, and then that helps me to make much better decisions going forward um, in solving these problems that we have. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, anything else that you wanted to add on that? Just to thank the community for their understanding and their patience, you know, and, and for their support more than anything else. I think that means uh, the world, not just to me, but to all of the 600 plus people we have working to solve this issue. For, 600 for plus now? <laughs> That's unreal. It's a mind-boggling number I to know, think about. Right? Just yeah. working on, on yeah. unemployment. That's just, yeah. wow. Yeah, there, yeah, and there's, you know, I, I wish people could see it. I wish they could see what I can see, but the challenge for us is that, you know, um, because of the security issues and the personal data that we have, we haven't been able to allow the press into the convention center or any of our processing centers. And mm-hmm. I appreciate everybody understanding that because it does have a lot of, you know, personal information. Mm-hmm. And we want to ensure that our volunteers are, you know, their, we, we want to respect their privacy. It is absolutely mind-boggling to to see it happening. And so, again, on behalf of all of the people volunteering, all of the people who are from the Department of Labor and Industrial Relations, all of the you know all of the people who have made this, these solutions possible, I extend to the community my uh, most sincere appreciation and thanks. Yeah, from us too. Thank all you right. so much. Appreciate thank you very it. much. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Uh, Scott Murakami, Director of Labor and Industrial Relations for the state. We appreciate your time. Thank you for being on Kumukukua. Sure. Aloha. Rise and Drive with 94.7 Kumu.